Hello, this is Melina Williams. You're listening to the Massocast. It is, of course, 18 and over. So get your lube out and get ready to party. Hi, and thanks for downloading another episode. Uh, this show is only made possible by your donations. If you don't donate, then it's not made possible by you. It's made possible by someone else who may or may not donate. So don't put it on them. Put it on yourself. Go ahead. Donate 5, 10, or whatever you can uh, by going to massacast.com and clicking the donate button. Uh, speaking of donations, what happened uh, while we were away on our wedding slash honeymoon, uh, I got an email from someone saying, hey, I haven't been able to download your episodes for the last couple days now. And it turns out, uh, while we were gone, uh, we hit what's called the bandwidth cap for the downloads of the podcast. Basically, a crap ton of people started downloading more than I had assumed because I basically prepaid for an entire year of bandwidth for the downloads. And uh, apparently I completely misjudged how many people would be downloading it and the downloads just stopped. So basically, long story short, uh, I had to pay double and hopefully this will last enough for the rest of the year. But the only reason why I was able to pay double and keep those downloads going was because people have donated in the past and uh, that helped uh, pick up some of the slack. So it wasn't all on me, right? Speaking of it not being all on me, um, friend of the show, friend, friend of everyone, basically, Mistress Alex, if you don't, if you don't know her personally, uh, something you should know about her, she knows everyone. Everyone. Uh, not too long ago, Saad and I were talking about our TV being on the fritz a little bit. She goes, oh, let me, let me call the CEO of Sony. Hold on, let's see. And sure enough, she got the CEO of Sony on. Well, okay, that's a lie. But she knows a lot of people. Let's just put it that way. And uh, she said, hey, you know, I've got uh, a friend I'd love to interview for the podcast. And uh, he's well known. He's funny. He's smart. What's not to like? So uh, she sat down with her friend, John Fugelsang. You know him. If you've, uh, if for some crazy reason you don't know who he is, Google the name and then you'll go, oh, him. But I'm sure you hopefully know who he is. Comedian, actor, TV presenter. He's almost like uh, the American version of Stephen Fry, in a way. He's also an atheist, of which you'll hear a lot of in this episode. So if you are um, sensitive to topics of religion and uh, kink and how religion and kink combine, or just religion and sex in general... Conversation may not be for you if you're if you're a very sensitive religious person. So just uh, you know putting that out there. But it's still an interesting conversation. They t- cover a lot of ground. Um, so this is Alex interviewing John. One other thing I should uh, mention about uh, this interview is at the very beginning, uh, within the first couple of minutes, you're going to hear this little squelching noise, this little in- interference, kind of sounds like a tiny bee or something. Uh, that doesn't last very long, and it goes away within just. 30 seconds or so. It happens twice, but that's it. And the rest of the interview is clean as a whistle. So uh, just so you know, it's not nothing wrong with your, mo- your your iPhone or something like that. And I hope you enjoy it. John. Hi, John. Hi, Alex. It's nice to see you again. Oh, it's good to see you too. So it's pretty much freeform. Like you don't, you don't have a format. We can, we just go where it no, goes. No, I have, we have no format. I mean, well, you've listened to the Massacast before, clearly. <laughs> Have you? Yes, and it's clear that like what I like about it. What did you listen to? Oh God, it was it was oh Lord, it was a couple months ago. 
I was really surprised when I talked to you because, as I was saying to you before we started recording, you were one of the few people who brings this ton of gravity to it. I mean, like, you're a force of nature. It's like there's an Gravity ice. to what? To, to, I would assume, anything you do. Oh. <laughs> but to this, to, to interviews and conversations, mm. you're very blunt, and yet you're very joyful. You're very strong and forceful, and yet you're very kind and open-minded and accepting. Mm-hmm. And... I think that, you're very perceptive, <laughs> you know, I, I, I like, I don't see that as contradictions. You know, I, mm-hmm. I see that as embracing multiplicity mm-hmm. and uh, I like when people embody different extremes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, I would imagine that what makes you good in your sessions also makes you good, uh, as a therapist, as getting people to open up to you. Mm-hmm. Did I say something I shouldn't <laughs> say? No, I don't. No, that, that actually made, you did make me stop and think, um, because I I was thinking about the Massacast, but, um, well, I was coming over here thinking about, about you and you as a, as a broadcaster, as an interviewer, and and I've never seen you as a client and I've never seen you as a, as a, as a patient. I think people know, and this is what stopped me about that. And I don't, I think it's okay. You know, and I'll, if I decide it's not okay, I'm just going to edit this out, you know, because I get to do whatever I want. But, um. I think people know because I I write about my education and being in academia, and they know that I'm training to be a therapist. You know. But do um, you, do you think that? Oh, let me just. You got a little uh, hair right there. Me, <laughs> do you? Your was, hair got so long, I like know, you were saying. You were I on know. the road with all these guys in a van. I guess yeah. there was a chicken there too. Uh, you know, we were making a, a, a film for PBS, and I was in extreme <laughs> extreme poverty, and I was with white supremacists in Georgia, and yeah. I was in the worst homeless shelter in Detroit, and I was with congressmen and, and senators, and uh, we'll get to that. But I, I just, yeah. it seems like. And tell me if I'm wrong. I was thinking about what you do on the way over here, and it seems like you. Is it the same kind of? talent you have that gets people to open up to you and reveal themselves in sessions as well as in therapy rooms. It's both about a revealing people showing you that they can't show others. I mean, let's talk about you for a second. So do people know who you are? Do people, did I, did we say your name? No. What's tell us your name. My name is John Fugelsang and I am a, I don't think I could say it. The right way. It's it's Danish. Fugelsang. Fugelsang, yes. It's Fugelsang. Fugelsang. <laughs> my my great uh, great grandfather uh, uh, was a, a merchant marine from Denmark, and he jumped ship in Brooklyn Harbor and fought for the Union Army to get mm. to stay in the country. So Hot. I come from illegals. Nice. And I'm a comedian, and uh, and I talk about politics and religion. And I want to. I there's actually a, a reason why I wanted you to. There's lots of reasons why I want you to talk yourself talk about yourself you're talking about me but one quick question while you're telling who you are and what you're doing is mistress veronica who did you meet her last time i think for you about 10 seconds yeah. yeah tall yes kind of very strong brunette. Yes. um yes she wants to know why you left um america's funniest funniest home, home videos videos yeah uh, I said, what's your burning question for John? Oh, that's Beautiful so funny. Thing. And she's like, I really want to know. I don't know if she's, you know, I, it's really just what popped out of her. No, I mean, it was, it was. Uh, and then she had to run out for Kung Fu. She was on her way to Kung Fu. She probably didn't have the time to do like, you know, any deep. I wouldn't have guessed her as someone who would ask I about I caught her that. by surprise. I would have so. thought she'd want to talk about uh, some kind of political or <laughs> religious or what. Well, that is exactly, you're right. That's, she, she's always talking about that. And she's very like, you know. 
she's very intellectual and talks about, um, you know, all sorts of no, stuff. No, normally people like, ask me like, what does the Bible say about this sex practice or, or what does the Bible say? But about She this knows, but like yeah. she knows stuff, you know, so she wants to know why you, and I'm like, well, I could probably tell you, but let's, let's uh, I, you know, I had a really fun time on that show. I was really yeah, young and I, fun. I, it, it wasn't the sort of show I ever thought I'd be doing when they first told me they wanted me to audition for it. I thought it was a joke. I thought they were kidding me. And I thought I'm so wrong for this. And I went into the audition in New York city and I, I, I didn't want to go. And I said, I'm, I'm busy. I'm shooting for VH1 in Washington square. And they're like, well, sh- the casting director will get a later flight to see you. And I thought, Oh no, I can't be rude. I have yeah. to go now. So well, I went you're in so polite all the time. And I just go in and I just made fun of the show the whole time. And I, I, I mocked the whole thing mm-hmm. and they liked it. And mm-hmm. then they flew me out to LA and they brought me into a room. Cause they know that it's ridiculous. So yeah. I mean, that so was I came perfect. out and I just made you fun of the show. You could have fucked it up if you tried. Literally. No, I did. Cause I came out and I made fun of the show. Uh, and, and at the audition in LA and they all laughed really hard. It was all inside jokes about cats falling off of cliffs into vats of battery acid or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and then they gave me the job and I couldn't believe it. The, the words, I picked up the phone and it was my agent, my manager in LA calling me and their actual words were, well, you gave it your worst shot. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I, I did it for a season and a half and I was the wrong guy for it. I was like this young. Only a season and a half. It yeah. seems like it's like. Only a season and a half. You blew that shit up. I had a really good time. They paid me really well. I worked nice. with some really nice people, and I knew that it wasn't the kind of work I you was. You have such to be a doing. nice suit jacket on. Do you? Did uh, <laughs> where's my suit jacket? No, that was a long time ago. Was I wearing a suit jacket last time? You were you not. Me? You were not. I was wearing this. Not the same wife beater, by the way. I have a, a drawer, entire drawer full of all fresh wife. I change them every day. I'll have you know. Oh really? I don't like your tone. Uh, about the wife, Peter? Yeah. You? All right. Back to you. I so we saw your ink that. last time. I see your ink this time. Yeah, but so. did you see it dance? Look at that. Wow. I've been working out. Anyway, listen to me. Answer my question. Are you done answering my question? Yeah. Okay. I had a good time on that Veronica's show. Veronica's question. Veronica, I had a great time on that show, but it wasn't for me. But you left because it just wasn't for you. Uh, and now you're doing bigger and better and things. I think I convinced them. Movies. I think I convinced them that I was the wrong guy. Yeah. It took a season and a half. It took a while. For them to believe, yeah. And you just kept pocketing that. Uh, you know, I was doing political <laughs> stand-up and I, yeah. you know, it was just, it was, it was a weird fit for me. Well, it's like cross-training. It was good. It was good for you. Well, I didn't know how to, you know, I, I didn't know how to, it seemed very unnatural to me to go there and do this pageant kind of job where I'm smiling all the time and that's not mm. how I am. And it was very jolly. You're not a pageant queen? No, not really. And, and <laughs> I, I was very sarcastic in the audition and then they didn't want me to do that. Mm. So, you know, and they would spray a nice tan on me to make me look less deathlike. Let and, me ask you something real quick. Have you ever worn lip gloss? Uh, no. Just because the pageant queen, like a pageant queen would wear lip gloss. That's <laughs> not you. No, not me. No. 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 I mean, to get out of the Navy once upon a time, I might have, but otherwise, no. yeah. Really? That won't work anymore. Um, oh, I had something else I was going to ask. I'm distracting myself with thoughts of you, like, with a close shave and lip gloss, which are both, like, opposite of what's going on right now. Anyway. No, the reason why we, why I brought that up was because I wanted you to introduce yourself. We're talking about talking to each other right now. Popped into my head that I wanted to remember to ask that thing, Mr. Veronica. See, we're backtracking through my mind palace. <laughs> but see, but like the last <laughs> time I through my mind palace. 
I, that I cracked my um, shit up. <laughs> I, by the way, I downloaded the entire season of that from the BBC like a right? months ago. I couldn't wait for Dare America. I know. Anyway, um, um, well, like, no, but I asked you because I because you asked me a question about how fantastically talented I am at drawing people out. Yeah, and we had a conversation but it, before. But is it the same? You I mean, and I are having a conversation, so I want you to answer the question for yourself. Okay, Don't tell me about myself, John. You want me to tell you about you? To answer your question. Answer the question I ask you? Yeah, about me. I would imagine that the <laughs> you time... You said you wanted to interview me. I just want you to talk about me. Well, I would imagine the time you spent in the dungeon gave you a really keen and acute insight into... We're in my it, dungeon right now. Yeah. But I, I would imagine that it prepped you in very, very powerful and surprising ways for a career as a therapist, because mm-hmm. you're, you already knew how to make people reveal things very deep in their hearts that they can't share with you're their You're kind of friends. outing me about right? <laughs> but, being but, a therapist. But, but it, it seems like it's a, a similar kind of skill because then you, you've got people coming to you in a dungeon, I would imagine, and they have needs and they have things they want to experience that they can't necessarily tell their friends or coworkers. Yeah. And it is very healthy for their psyche to express that. And it's yeah. positive and it makes them better people. And I would imagine it's the same in therapy. Yeah. It, you know what? And, it's interesting because in the last week, there, this came up twice. Um, this came up, I talked to Mark Germain on his, he's got this um, internet radio show mm-hmm. from Las Vegas. And um, he wanted to talk to me about, you know, he wanted some salacious, you know, he wanted me to talk about some real sexy stuff. Cause I guess he probably knows I like to do that, but I wanted to kind of enlighten those guys a little bit. Cause you know, there's a lot of misconceptions I, about I what like, you do. Yeah. And I just felt like it would be helpful for them. But anyway, I was talking about this, like, you know, about, um, being in, uh, doing a scene, having a scene, BDSM being therapeutic basically. And I've talked about this before with friends, but, um, and the benefits of subspace, like subspace, when you go into subspace, which is a thing that ha- it's like a trance state. Do you know about subspace, John? I know that you're not like a only only what dude. I read in my mom's reader's digests when I, when oh, I visit. Okay, so it, no, I've heard of subspace. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, what describe it for me? It seems from from what I understand about it, it's more of a state of mind, mm-hmm. and it's more of a place of like. Well, like you said, like a trance, it's not like a drug trip, but it's getting yourself into this flow oh, it's very interesting of accepting it. And it seems like what they that. say, how there's a lot of uh, liberation in that kind of release and submission. Yeah. And I'm Catholic, so I'm counting on that. Yeah. And you also know what it means to be on your knees. Just yeah, exactly. I'm saying regarding the Catholic thing. Well, I, I don't, I, I bet the Catholic church actually spawned the need for what you do because there it was all about self-flagellation for sin and being unworthy and being yeah. unworthy. You, it seems just take kind of a more fun twist on that than the Vatican ever did. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, all these thoughts about, you know, someone on their knees and me feeding them some body of Christ is just, I, it, you're, you're throwing me off my, um, train of thought here, John, um, you and your not lip gloss wearing. So, um, no, but I was going to say something. What was it? What was I going to say? What did uh, I ask you before? Well, Why are you doing 
doing you, this? You are, why am I? Why am I doing? Because why are you I'm, distracting me? I'm coming. What was I talking about? You mentioned something really interesting because you were um, you were describing subspace, and I think you're exactly right. Did Although, I get it? Did I? Yeah, uh, exactly. And you were saying how it's maybe not similar to drugs, but people there are some people who take drugs to get into a trance state, like you know ayahuasca. Yeah. You know all those things, peyote. But it seems like the same thing. It, um, it's taking a break from reality. But this is a, a way to not. I was going to say it's a way to not introduce chemicals to get into a trance state to relieve stress or to have an epiphany or to get out of yourself for a while so that you can go back into yourself and have, you know, some better sense of yourself. However, um, there are chemicals released when you're in um, the confines of a BDSM scene, like your body chemistry does all sorts of things with cortisol and adrenaline and oxytocin and all sorts of awesome stuff, probably serotonin. There's, there might be some little, little dopamine like swirled around in the glass. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but um, what I'm saying is, um, there is a lot of chemical stuff that happens, but it's a trance state or it can be, and people enter at a different depths. But it's interesting that you mentioned flow because I read this um, preliminary results of this study this person did in San Francisco, and he was likening top space, which is the space, you know, that a top will go in in a scene, which I tend to feel really, I expand, I get really larger than life. And I feel a lot of adrenaline and I'm, I feel hyper aware. It's almost the opposite in some ways of subspace where a, a submissive in subspace might feel sort of like floaty and kind of not really as aware of surroundings where I get super hyper aware and like hyper vigilant and I like I'm omnipotent, but that's called a flow state. In his paper, he likened that to a flow state, which is this thing, you know, that like, obviously, you know, that a- like athletes it's... get into mm-hmm. and, you know, these, these like that. I, I do 90 minute solo shows. I mean, I, 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 I get it. That's the thing. Right. And you were saying before we, we started recording about how, um, you thrive off of that kind of energy. You, you, um, you like exhausting yourself. <laughs> yeah. I'm in, I'm, I'm very comfortable with intensity. Yeah. And, uh, it seems that with what you're talking about, that both top space and bottom space could, uh, I'm sorry, subspace, forgive me subspace and top space could are, are both really a high for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Is it hard? Would it be hard for you to walk away from that? So you're, what you're asking about is, do I have an, a problem with top drop? <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, I'm, I'm rephrasing your question. Well, it's, it you. sounds like, it sounds like if it would be really hard to, to walk away from what you do, because it seems like yeah. it's a real exhilarating I mean, I can't imagine, like, it sounds like it's jumping out of an airplane. There's aftercare involved, which is a lot like self-care, which we were talking about before. Aftercare, a lot of people think about aftercare as something for the bottoms or the the submissives or the masochists, you know, or um, whoever is uh, in receiving mode. But tops need aftercare too, John. You have to ease out of that. And I appreciate you bringing that up because, and I think what, I don't know. I feel like I've talked about this before, so I won't belabor the issue, but, um, but actually, no, for me, it's, it's not, I, I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm very self-absorbed and kind of self-aware about, you know, what I need and want. And I'm, and I'm not, you know, I try to get it as I'm going along in the session and I never let anyone, I don't ever play with someone who's going to suck that much energy from me. So I don't have, you know, that kind of um, energy issue. Now I can leave feeling really exhilarated, but usually a session, like there's a trajectory to it and you wind down. So by the end of the session, you're kind of like, 
coming to your baseline and you can leave the session feeling like I often feel like kind of amped up depending on what it was and very, you know, but then I usually will sit with a friend, like maybe I'll chat with uh, Veronica. Mm -hmm. Often I do that. Or like sometimes I'll go out to dinner with the person I had this kind of, you know, it, yeah, that, that can happen sometimes. You said that you would never play with someone who was an energy sucker. Mm -hmm. How do you tell? How do you know? Well, how do you know? I mean, you interact with a lot of people and you have to for your job and you have to interact with a lot of people who I'm sure suck the hell out of your energy. They just suck it. But I, I, it. But I can't avoid those people. I, I mean, you I can. really can't. You can't. But, you, but what I'm saying is you can feel it so you know what right. it is. Yeah. So when you know what it is, then you can avoid it. And you can do that through communicating with people before you meet them. Like, you know, it's called screening. Yeah. You know what that is. I think I did this. I think means. I talked about this with you uh, the last time we spoke where this, this chakra technique that someone taught me when I, I lived in L.A., like a confused New Yorker for 10 years, mm. where if you're dealing with someone who's a total energy sucker and you know it and you know that they're a very nice person with this mm. incredible need in them and they are just so leaning into you and so taking your energy away and it's exhausting either through talking or emotional neediness. If you, if you angle yourself at like a three quarter angle, but still maintain eye contact, oh, yeah. but angle your torso away from them. The, the, the thought yeah. is their heart chakra is sucking the energy out of your heart chakra. Oh, my. So have your heart face somewhere else in the room, turn your shoulder towards them, maintain the eye contact out yeah. of respect. Yeah. But this way they're not facing you head on. Now, even right. if that's complete psychosomatic rubbish, yeah. it's a good trick to remember to protect you and just do something, even if it's wishful thinking, huh. but it, it increases your own awareness that you're dealing with a person like this. Huh. And how can you maintain respect for them while really protecting your personal space? Oh, and it'll work wonders for you. Yeah. That's and it makes them super gently important. back off too. It's probably super important in your job too, because, um, like you said, you can't avoid them. But what I was going to say is what I pointed out to, to Mark Germain and his, um, co-hosts were that, I don't know how it came up about, is it therapeutic or is it like therapy or, you know, something like that. And I made the distinction that, um, it's, it can be very therapeutic. And I think it's very therapeutic for someone to be, to have a, to engage in BDSM if that's what they're into. I mean, not if they're, you know, right. you know, consensual BDSM, yeah, obviously I like to state the obvious, you know, like not if you're. Anyway, whatever. I'm not going to go into it. You that. have to. Unfortunately, there's so many people out there that don't understand what yeah. you mean by consenting adults. So, yeah. But, I mean, most of this audience does. But, you know, so consensual BDSM scene, I think, is very therapeutic, even if the person involved is just there because they the want to get off. Yeah, a non-consensual BDS scene is, is battery or assault that's three or just, kidnapping. That's, that's a crime. That's yeah. actually not BDSM. Yeah, that's, that's actually felony. That's so. pathological sadism. And there's a difference between pathological sadism and healthy sadism so that I, seems like the most important thing you must have to explain to people yeah but not people in the scene really no but dumb outside so i did people. actually mention that on the show i i forget i think i told i was i told it mark i was going to put him in a box and but i would poke holes in it because i'm not a pathological sadist <laughs> so um anyway um i said you know i think that anyone who comes into uh, a scene there, they're in a safe space. They have this release. They feel safe. I hopefully they feel safe and comfortable to the extent they can. And like whatever the dynamic of the scene is and how can that not be therapeutic for you? Because like you were saying, you can't do that anywhere else. So it's therapeutic, but the goal isn't to necessarily 
work on an issue or transcend or have an epiphany. And that stuff does definitely happen. But the goal is to like, you know, to have fun and to get turned on and to do it in like, you know, a very kind of highly scripted, thought out, you know, oftentimes intricate, you know, mind fucky type of a way. Established boundaries, firmly (laughs) established boundaries, firmly established boundaries, negotiated limits and all that. So it's, it's like the kind of sex, like it's not, you know, and it's so funny because they also use the word sex dungeon. Like is, is this, do you have a sex dungeon? I'm like, what are you talking? What is that sex? dungeon? Nobody says that. Nobody says sex dungeon. People who watch bad porn say that. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. So it's not, it's a dungeon and like not, and most people would say there's no sex happening here, but that's because people define sex in different ways. And there, there actually is not sex. There's no, there's no um, intercourse generally in most scenes, even, you know, no touching. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but, but it's there, a very it's, intense it's, intimacy. it can be, it's of a sexual nature. Most people are, are there to get turned on. So, um, it's very intimate though. Isn't yeah, it? It, it, it is. Yeah. Because you're in this sort of dynamic that is, a, you know, it's a very unusual space to be in, I think for most people. Anyway, there was a difference. The point is, is that there's a difference between something being therapy and something being therapeutic. And then, um, it was the other thing I wanted to say is I was listening to this lecture last week. Um, these, these, um, psycho analysts were talking about sadism in the consulting room. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was interested in that. So I went to this lecture and I asked them at the end because they were equating sadism with how they were being bad therapists. And I'm like, okay, you know, the, the therapy session is not a place to be sadistic. I mean, being sadistic is doing something for yourself, right? It's because you're getting off or you're feeling power and you like that. That's a really, that's really true. It's not evil. It's, it's not necessarily evil. Destructive if it's, selfishness. If it's non-consensual and if somebody else isn't getting a benefit from it, then that's pathological. But they weren't making that distinction. They were just saying sadism and talking about badness. They use the term badness and it's on a continuum and all this. And I asked them a question. I said, well, first I'd like you to clarify, like, are you defining sadism as always bad, always pathological, always something to avoid because, you know, you you haven't brought up, you know, consensuality and things like that. And also in therapy sessions, there's consent, you know, you're there to maybe feel pain or to work through stuff. It's not going to be easy. And this lady said, she's like, well, yes, of course, blah, blah. We meant this and we meant that, but I think it's really important to say it out loud. But then she's also like, but to be clear, you know, there is nothing sexual going on in therapy sessions. And I'm like, lady, I didn't say this out loud, but I'm like, this other lady was just saying how there was this counter-transference happening and there was this sexual tension. And the reason why she was sadistic to her client, because he said something about flirting and she said, well, why do you bother flirting then? And it's like, cause she was jealous of him flirting with some lady, some other, you know, her, the therapist. So I'm like, if that's not sexual, mm-hmm. like I, I really wanted to keep talking about that, but I was like, you know, but it, it is it is intimate. I think intimacy is another of the unifying yeah. traits between these two worlds that that you're, you know, living in. Yeah, getting people to reveal these things. And it, well, you said something really important, which is about sadism being selfishness, because I think most people would see sadism as being malevolence and a desire to hurt someone. When in reality, yeah. they, they don't get off on hurting someone; they get off on only serving themselves and doing whatever makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. 
And that's, I think, what we don't understand about evil in this society. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times people are just really, really selfish. They're not necessarily wanting to do harm to people. Mm-hmm. But in the case of sadism, it seems like, I, I don't know, I'd never really viewed it that way, mm-hmm. that it was just uh, about self-gratification. Or being bad. Well, I think that the automatic connection that most people make about sadism is that it's evil and bad. And so, you know, people listening to this are most, you know, most everyone is into, um, understands more maybe than the general public about BDSM, but, um, but they are aware of that phenomenon as well. So what's the dumbest thing people ask you? What do you always hear coming from people? What do you mean? Well, I would imagine uh, total straights, you know, people, I mean, nerds like me. Heteronorms? Sure. Heteronorms. I guess that's what I am. I don't know, but I, 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 I don't know. I, Are you, do you identify I tried to as be heteronormative? A, I tried to be, and I, I, I failed at it, but it's, you it, tried to be what? <laughs> heteronormative? Just being normal in general has never been, you know, something normal. I excel at. So you're not part of the statistical majority? Uh, well, I'm a white male, so I guess, no, I'm not anymore. Thank oh, God. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you think that, but like, what is the, it would seem like people always come up to you and have those presumptions and think things like, Oh, this is about sex mm-hmm. uh, or, or, you know, all their knowledge of this whole world comes from bad porn. Yeah. What do you, I mean, do you have to deal with that or are you insulated from, from those kind of laymen and you just mainly deal with people who know what they're talking about? Yeah. I live in a bubble. I have, you're, that sounds amazing. You're in my bubble. You, you know what my bubble's like. Why wouldn't I just want to hang out in my bubble? It's it's amazing. No, but I do like to talk to people outside of my bubble because I like to enlighten people. So, um, are they, when's the last time someone was just shocked? When's the last time like someone was shocked to find out what you do? Does that ever happen? I don't think so. You know, I, I don't know. I don't think so because, um, I'm sort of, you know, the people, even if people, if I'm hanging out with people outside of the scene, the reason that they're nearby is they're somehow connected to someone I'm connected to. And therefore the, they're the type of a person that would not be as shocked about it, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So I don't know, but, um, you know, it's someday I would like to kind of reach a wider audience. When are you going to start talking about, um, kinky sex on your comedy shows and things. I, I, you know, I, I talk about, I talk about sex a lot and I, I, I talk about kinky sex a lot and I, you like know, what kind of things did you say? Well, I talk about it, you know, I try and do things through a political lens and I talk a lot about religion and, you know, a lot of my act is, yeah. is what the Bible says about sex versus what we've been taught the Bible says about sex and, you know, what actually like is the hangups of dead guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's I, like, for me, I think all of this slut shaming, uh, all of this, all of this, uh, anti-gay stuff, all of this anti-contraception stuff, mm-hmm. none of that is Christian. None of it comes from, from the Jesus stories, you know? So mm-hmm. when I go up on stage, like I'll try and do something very, very, uh, smart, because I very, tell very you sacrilegious what. and like, I'll try and offend everybody. Do you know what's sexy? Like you just named three things like a gay slut wearing condom is like the most sexy, one of the sexiest things I could think of. Well, that's, that's my opener. Um, (laughs) He's great. And you know, he does some catering too. No, I mean, I, I, you know, for me, it's like, I have to, I I live in a world where I go out and talk about sex and make people laugh. Mm. And I think that a lot of times people are 
more comfortable laughing at sex than taking it seriously. You know, I mean, I think comedy almost killed porn in the eighties. And I think a lot of porn shows that, you know, people don't take sex seriously. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anyone with a more interesting life than you. I don't think mm -hmm. I met Paul McCartney. His life's pretty interesting, but yours is, <laughs> is pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like, I don't know. I think you're a movie waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. Or, or at least an HBO, a cool HBO series <laughs> therapist by day, dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it's interesting because people want to laugh at sex and, and that's great. You know, I just did a show in, uh, in Seattle last month at the Paramount theater and I went up closing with a 12 minute piece on cunnilingus and how men aren't doing their duty in this society. And <laughs> 12 minutes, huh? It's really long. Yeah. Is that how long it usually takes to do a, a good piece on <laughs> cunnilingus? I don't know. Well, I could do a 45 minute piece on cunnilingus if the audience was really liking it. But, uh, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's, do you ever make out with your audience after going down on them just so they can taste it? This is what it feels like when you do it right. See yeah. the, what the connection is, is that when you're having a really good set <laughs> and ironically sex can help with that, it is like lovemaking. It's like, I can stimulate <laughs> this area and get this response. I can stimulate this area and get this response. It's just, you know, a whole bunch of people that you're giving stimuli to at once. Yeah, that's so great. Well, it's, it's, it's that same kind of flow that yeah. you talked about with subspace where you just get into this headspace and you can just go all night doing it. Yeah. And it is communion and it's intimate and no one's actually touching each other, mm -hmm. but it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing, but it's interesting. I, I did this bit about, about kind of lingus and I, I was doing it in LA for a while and the club owner got really uncomfortable that I was doing it before 11 PM. Mm. And I said, but you got guys doing blowjob jokes all over the place. My mm -hmm. kind of lingus routine doesn't, it has one bad word. It's all, all PG. What's the bad word? Uh, pussy. At oh. one point I, I, I have a line uh, where I see that use that word. And then I go into why you shouldn't be embarrassed by that word mm -hmm. and how a society and a religion makes women ashamed of their bodies, you know, and mm. I'll go getting political on it and I'll go back to the dick jokes. Yeah. But the male club owner was too uncomfortable mm. at a piece about uh, female orgasm and female pleasure mm. being on stage before 11 low job jokes are okay. That's funny. So what if you did a joke about ass fucking? Like a dude getting fucked in the ass. But see, that's the thing. If I did one, I guess before about, 11, if it was, if it was like, you know, mean, it'd be fine. If it was about a guy who really liked it, yeah. it, would make, it would make him uncomfortable. And it's all about knowing how much to make your audience uncomfortable and how much you can get away. with. Why would they be uncomfortable? Because they think that it's a homosexual act and they're uncomfortable with homosexuality. Some men and women are. Yes. Yeah, sure. Perhaps you've heard about this. Heard about what? But there are a few people in this country who are uncomfortable with, uh, with men enjoying penetration. Yeah. Yeah. They're actually like trying to stop from getting married. <sighs> so sad. I know so many people who like butt sex and they're not necessarily gay. Sure. You live in a much cooler world than I do. Yeah. Because, and the thing is that I love about about my world and like people who love butt sex in it is that they are like, this feels great. It doesn't affect my sexual orientation at all. It's, 
it's an act that I do. Um, sometimes, you know, it like your sexual orientation depends on how you identify that, right? And, and there's tons of heterosexual identified men who love that, and it point. doesn't make them any less straight. But they wonder about it. You know, they can't help it because they've been conditioned to think that butt shame. sex is gay. But it's because like, of, it's because of shame. It's and, because and of religion. And also, like you know, it's fine if they do find out that they're gay at some point, but it's it's a shame that they have that shame and they need to connect that instead of just being like, wow, it feels great when I get fucked in my ass, you know, like I've had so many people ask me, ask me like what silly question do people ask? Like, yeah, if I like getting fucked in the ass, does that mean I'm gay? Like I've, I've gotten asked that it's question cra- by people. Crazy. Sometimes I get people asking me things. You're like, like a really hot blonde woman. I don't see where the gay part would come in. <laughs> but like someone I maybe would never even meet. Um, someone just, contacting me on the interwebs, like mm-hmm. asking me questions. Sometimes people ask me questions. Like yeah. somebody asked me a question the other day is like, should I stop wearing panties? Cause my friends think I need a shrink and they think that, um, you know, I'm like, not, no, well, there's nothing wrong with wearing panties. You should, you know, you should wear panties. Like you should make sure that they're sheer and that, <laughs> that you shave yourself. Okay. Well, of course. I mean, but, God, you know, GQ says that just shave. And so anyway, but People ask but that's me liberty. That's the society based on liberty and freedom, right? Like we're shoved that all the time. So yeah, I think panties. Yeah. Get fucked in the ass. Like it's all great. Like you don't have to feel bad about that. Do both, in fact. You know what? But it's do whatever. Wear panties that you don't mind getting ripped open so that you can get fucked in the as ass. As long as you are not. I could go. I could. I got a million. As long as you are not harming anyone else's person or property and yeah. are in the company of consenting adults. So like, do for example, don't you borrow your wife's favorite panties to have them ripped open for your butt no, sex. Don't, unless she's don't, the one unless doing she's it. She fully says consenting okay. and she says And then yes. you're going to replace them, you know, with the same or nicer pair of panties. That's all I got to say about that. Exactly. You know, good. Okay. Earn your ball gag is what you're saying. But I think you're, but, but to me, this is all, this is all ties in politics and religion so much because like, you love talking about that stuff. Well, like it's, you know, sodomy, sodomy all comes from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? In the Bible. And, and they think, okay, well that means penetrative anal sex. Mm. But the actual story is about a mob of guys who try to gang rape two angels Mm. and no one actually gets gang raped, but it's not about anything consensual sex. And yet Mm -hmm. that particular act came to be named after that Bible story. Mm -hmm. So you've got generations, hundreds, a couple thousands of years of toxic, useless confusion, guilt, and shame because of the hangups of dead guys who didn't even read the story. Right. Mm -hmm. And Sodom and Gomorrah, where we get the word from has nothing to do with that very lovely consensual act that saved many marriages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of guys out there who have no problem performing that act on a female partner. Right. And that's never seen as a gay body part in that context. Wow. And, but yet their own confusion, their own hangups, their own shame. Again, it's all from religion. And you know, one of the things I get in trouble talking about is I say, this isn't, this isn't Jesus. This is all men in dresses who came along after the Bible and told you that you're, you know, Dirty parts were dirty. Yeah. And if God didn't like sex, he wouldn't make us crowd his name when it's really fucking hot. <laughs> did we talk about that before too? It's possible. I feel like we did. It's possible. But like, I like seeing how far I can take it when I'm dealing with religious audiences <laughs> with talking about sex too, because we talked about how everybody, even like atheists 
say, oh my God, I'm coming. But even also fundamentalists, assuming they have sex, are going to say that as well. What if fundamentalists and atheists have in common? <laughs> they don't they know shit. Out, That's what they have in common. Right. They also yell out, oh my God, when they're having sex. But you know, like I, I, I'm really, I've gone from being like a really <laughs> repressed Catholic kid to really growing up in the hey, sex atheist, positive by the way. I know that. Most people are. You're just Most saying of my I don't know are. shit? <laughs> no, I'm saying that atheists and Baptists alike, no one knows anything oh, okay. it's all about know. about that not yeah. just in general you weren't making yeah. like a general statement no, no, no. are you trying to pick a fight with me never god right. no okay i'm smarter than that i don't even need to go i know you're armed i'm, I'm like it's, it's amazing i wish that your listeners could see the armory that i'm sitting in right i don't now. need that armory anyway um but no i'd like <laughs> i i grew up look um, i told you this last time we talked but my parents both once took a vow to never have sex both my parents took celibacy vows after you were born. no before i was born they were my mom was a nun and my for 16 years my dad was a franciscan brother i thought they like made you and they're like done they're well, like they said done can't first. do any better than that <laughs> they said he, he 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 was in love with her for 10 years but he had mm. promised god he would never have sex mm. and never be in love and then he always felt that his religion, his faith got deeper once he broke the vow of celibacy. Mm-hmm. And when I got older, I went through all this, you know, guilt over that. I felt like my parents broke a promise to God to have me. So I was a neurotic kid. Dirty. Like, did you feel totally. really Oh, I dirty? got so, I had so many sex hangups that my parents never put like in me. You were just like pure sex. Like all, like you're just like made up of sex and that's all that you are. I was neurotic about it. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're fed this stuff about sin all the time from these men and then you grow up and you realize, oh, half of those guys were diddling altar boys in the corner while they were telling us about sin. Yeah. You guys taught me shame. Let me get this straight, Father. If I yeah. touch my wee-wee, it's a mortal sin. But if you touch my wee-wee, it's a tragic mistake. Hmm. I go to hell, but you go to a new parish. Hmm. So I, you know, I think I, I, one of the things I care about is being sex positive. And now that I'm a dad raising a sex positive son hmm. who doesn't have unhealthy views towards sexuality, which makes him act out in unhealthy ways with his partners. But also well, he's I, he's not even two yet. He's not even two. So, you know, <laughs> let's save some things for, for grammar school. But I do think that, you know, I don't think you can, I think you can be a person of faith or a Christian person, even a conservative Christian person and be sex positive and not have these hangups. Cause I don't actually think they're biblically based. And, uh, I think it's been a long centuries of people hating sex because they believe the lie of someone else, of a dead man in a dress. Do they hate sex? I mean, they're still having sex. No, Those people, people are people not having sex. There are people not having sex, and they don't like the fact that you're on? having sex. Are there, are there really people not having? I mean, you I know there are. Who, a, I know there are people who identify as asexual, and I think that's perfectly no, I'm talking fine. About they're very who, conscious of themselves. I'm talking about people who watch the O'Reilly Factor. Okay, like are people they not having sex. People not who are watching sex? Fox News primetime are not having any sex, Alex. Not. I mean, is that because they're in chastity? Do they have a chastity device on? No, well, in, the, in their brains. Is there do. some orgasm denial going on there? There's a lot of orgasm denial going on there. But is it consensual? Uh, they've transferred. Is it, it with to, their partner? They've transferred it to hating Obama, and that's how they get their release. That sounds. I don't know. It's not very satisfying. That's why they're so mean to people. That doesn't sound right. Sexless men with that's dirty minds. That's not sexy. Sexless men with dirty minds. That's the fundamentalist right fringe of our country. The people that's that hate sexy. sex are the ones who need it the most. Do you ever do you ever have married clients that you think you send home to their partner as a much happier, healthier, better husband? Mm. Um, I can only assume so. I don't really ask people uh, about 
their status yeah. like that. I feel like people will offer up information they want to. And oftentimes sure. they do say stuff like that, or they do say they're married or they're not. Sometimes their wife knows, mm -hmm. sometimes their wife sends them to me. It's mm -hmm. very rare, but that's happened to me a couple of times. I bet those are healthy marriages. Yeah. Um, sometimes I've had couples, I've had married couples. I bet those are really healthy marriages. Yeah, those are that's super fun. All about communication, right? Yeah, um, but probably I'm sure for the most part, people. Um, this kind of this came up in the in the other talk too. Um, um, my thing is is that um, I think that it's important to address your entire self and your entire identity, and if you're forced because you live this lifestyle that. Um, that you choose to live, but it means that you have to hide a piece of yourself most of the time. I think it's really important to let that breathe and let that out for a while. I think it's healthy and I think it's healthier, you know, and then I do think you can go back and be a, a more whole, better person and not feel like you're feel bitter because you're repressing something and you don't get to do something that you need to do as a, as a human. It's part of your identity and part of your sexuality. I do think it makes you a better person. I do not agree with telling lies to your partner mm -hmm. or, um, even omission, unless that's your agreement with them to like leave certain things out. And that's what a lot of people do is say, you know, I do your thing. I don't want to know about it. And that's fine too. I think the best case scenario is to have an open situation. I, I don't believe in monogamy. I think that that's really unhealthy um, because even if it's, you know, very the healthiest monogamous relationship, I think, I don't know. I just think it's, um, it kind of stunts you in a way, but anyway, I, I think you're probably monogamous. So I want you to make you feel bad. Well, no, I mean, we're the only, here's what my, my, my deal on that. There's six species of mammal that made for life naturally. Uh, as far as I can understand, it's the uh, foxes, wolves, elephant, shrews, beavers, gibbons, and the dick, dick, which is a kind of antelope in Africa mm -hmm. in Southeast. Mm -hmm. Only humans, homo sapiens, the only animal on earth, the only creature that chooses monogamy against its nature mm -hmm. and then goes through all kinds of suffering and guilt and torment yeah. when that's hard to pull off. It, I, it's natural in the sense that we're doing it. We are in nature. So we're choosing this mm -hmm. and maybe we're bringing about the evolution of our species by doing it. And maybe in a hundred generations, babies will be born biologically predisposed to mate with one partner for life. Mm -hmm. But if people, I always felt if, if people could be honest about the fact that humans are trying to do something that no other species is trying to do, that there'd be a lot less disappointment and a lot better communication. Mm -hmm. People wouldn't hide so much of their true natures from each other because mm. it's crazy. And, and the thing is, it is crazy. And the thing is, it can work and it can be wonderful. And people have long, happy marriages. I've seen it, I've seen lots of old couples in love and sure. they wouldn't change that for anything. And I respect whatever works for you. I think what people also don't address is there are different different uh everything is on a continuum right so even monogamy because you can um it depends on your agreement with your partner you can have a monogamous relationship but you can agree to watching porn and jerking off you know but some people would say no you're that's not in the you know and i was just yes. fucking nuts you yeah know? but like oh that, there's guys who, whose wives think it's group sex if they help yeah it's bad out there so uh, what? <laughs> there's, but there's, again, if you help what? It's group. It's group sex. If you help me, honey. But but uh, but this is but this again comes back to religion because this is all the hangups of dead guys. Yeah. You know why why 
why let's assume there is a God, right? Let's just assume that, that, that everyone, that they're right. And there's, there's this benevolent uh, deity who gave you this gift. Life is really hard. I mean, childhood is just a beast. Adolescence is a monster. Your early twenties, you're just a drunken mess trying to figure out who you're going to be in your thirties. Your thirties are terrifying. Having kids is a Awful. Being old sucks. They should make every drug legal once you turn 70, peyote, whatever you want. Life is hard. And let's assume that there is this God who made life and made it really hard. And then he gave you this gift of human sexuality Mm -hmm. where you can be anything, experience anything, feel the entire breadth of human emotion, Mm -hmm. have a great time, laugh your ass off, become closer to your partner, grow spiritually, be a better person. Mm -hmm get in shape, rock someone else's world, learn how to make someone else come like a train. This incredible <laughs> gift. I always thought, you know, once by the time I, I got out of, out of the church, I, I wound up really thinking, God, it's, it's an insult to God to not fly your freak, fella, freak, freak flag. It's an insult to this God you believe in mm-hmm. to not have the most rich, satisfying, honest, consensual, awesome sex life possible. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Watch more reruns of sex in the city. Mm. There's people who watch sex in the city who never have actual sex. Mm-hmm. I'm more a fan of the real thing. What real thing? The city? <laughs> no, the I'm, I'm, I'm a real fan. Of, I'm more of a fan of sex. I think you like sex. To, I think people, I think people, you know, I see all these old middle-aged people so furious about kids having sex. And I'm like, I, I think you're the one who needs to have more sex. Yeah. Dad. And I just think people don't. I th- and I think that they, and married people get married and they stop and they lose communication with their partner. Mm-hmm. People, and it's one thing if you don't want to have sex, that's great. But don't start demonizing it. Don't start with the right. slut shaming. Don't start putting on people who do like it. Because right. that shame is what makes men lie to women. And that shame is what makes women lie themselves and do shit that they shouldn't be involved in and, and, you know, subordinate themselves to unworthy men. Mm -hmm. And if we could be a more sex positive society in general, Mm -hmm. I think, Hey, I'd see the crime rate go down. This is why I always say that lube is panacea because, you know, more lube makes your butt sex easier and the world becomes a better place immediately. I actually think that's pretty profound. And I I think you should put that on. It's very deep. Again, another reason for more lube. Well, in my world, jokes are lube. So I, I, I get that. Listen, what about, um, can I ask you a personal question about the kind of sex that you have with your wife? Oh my, sure. Do you guys ever have freaky sex? Uh, well, do you guys ever do some experimentation? Uh, I think the best way to have a lasting relationship and, and my wife and I have been together for a long time, uh, is a codependent perversion. So when you find someone <laughs> who's, uh, as, as twisted as you, but also as needy, um, you can have a safe <laughs> space to grow together. So, yeah, I mean, we, you know, for me, I, I it really became much more about how am I going to, you know, use this to, how am I going to use sex to be a better communicator? And how am I going to use sex as a grown up? Once you know what you're doing and you're having fun and you could start having some agency mm-hmm. over your sexuality, not just, Oh my God, can I have a good experience? Mm-hmm. But once you start deciding the kind of good experiences you're going to have as a grown up, mm-hmm. uh, I think that that can be something that can lead you to have a stronger relationship or to be a better person or whatever you want out of life. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ever get kind of try something a little 
different and realize that you're getting a little too close to some edge that made you uncomfortable? Uh, no, we're, we're both uh, really, like I said, the, the, the thing that I'm happy about is that we're both really good communicators. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of addicted to communicating. So mm-hmm. there's usually, you know, we, we always have an automatic veto policy if, if, you know, something involving the cat and, and, uh, you know, the fondue and, you know, half your bags gets too, gets too out of hand. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Cat hair and fondue. Those, those, uh, cutting off your own air supply with a dry cleaning bag can be fun, but you need someone there to be a buddy. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, what, what do you, what would you like to have? What would be good? What do you want to talk about? Cause I can sit here and say how awesome you are. I like that. I actually like that a lot. Um, you know, I like talking about, you know, I like talking about sexual deviance and perversion and I like to, you know, I'm not going to be able to get you to say, like, you describe some, like, kinky, sexy story that you've had, clearly. I'm not going to be able to do that. I can talk about my friends, you know, but, yeah, I can't talk about my wife. I don't know if know. that would be as interesting. No, probably not. Um, I'm sure your friends are very interesting, but it's like, I don't know them, like, you know, no, whatever. Yeah. I could tell stories about mm, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I guess we could tell stories about our friends. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I, mean, I don't want you to, you know, like, disclose want, information about your like, wife. I'm sure she's a lovely person. She, yeah, you, well, you'll, you'll meet her. I want you to meet her. Oh, um, she wants to meet you. Uh, I heard she's really sexy. Who told you that? I don't know. Just yeah. my fantasy. <laughs> Sorry. She's uh, No, I'm sure she's a, a nice person, you know, beyond objectification. I just, I do go there. Well, she actually is. A I'm designer. apologizing to she's her in advance a, for objectifying no, her. And I haven't even met her she's, she's a fox and she's actually a, a designer too. She designs uh, women's dresses and skirts and bags. And oh, she, sweet. you would love her stuff. But, um, I don't wear a lot of dresses and I don't carry purses, but I'm sure well, I would love to stand next to someone who was. That's tragic. She'd go to town on you. I mean, you know, actually I do. I'm going to wear a cocktail dress to a party on on Saturday just because a very good friend of mine, um, I gave, I said the option. I said, I can wear my suit and tie, which I wear. I like to wear. And I said, or I'll wear a cocktail dress just to like fuck with you guys. And she's like, oh, I'll give you $50. I'll donate $50 to the charity of your choice is what she said if you wear a cocktail dress. So I'm going to, I think I'll donate it to, um, the NCSF maybe just, that's my go-to donation. I, I see you as coalition being, for sexual freedom. I see you as being really feminine. Well, yeah, I certainly listen. I, I know that I'm good looking. John. Let's let's this. I'm not, I'm not being arrogant. You, you, you've been told that. Yeah. I get, you know, I get, I pick up on the signals. Also, have you looked around? There's mirrors in mm, this room. How yes. many are there? One, Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> yes. At least eight mirrors in, in this room. <laughs> I have that many on my ceiling at home, but go on. Right? Um, anyway, um, I'm generally not laying on my back. Are you laying on your back when you're having <laughs> sex so that you can look up? Yeah, that's why that's I don't have any on the ceiling because I'm never on my I back. Really <laughs> Wait, we were talking about how, about um, how you're good, good looking. looking I am. So, and then what else? Does that make your job harder? Does it make your job harder? The thing is, is I like, and I know that, you know, I am female bodied. Like I was born, These guys must fall in love with you. Generally not. Which ones? Your clients must just fall in love with you. Yeah. They must come back again and again and again. My God. Who cares? Oh, look at this. Um, Now she gets shy. I'm not shy. I'm just don't give a fuck if they fall in love with me. But they must, right? They must. No, I'm just kidding. Of course I care about that. And I don't know. I, they're, they're not, if they are, they're not falling in love with me. They're falling in love with their fantasy of me. They don't know me. But that's, and that's, and that's a different kind of burden for you to carry too. It is actually sometimes a pain in the ass, but we, I actually, I've talked to people about that before. And as long as it's, everything is staying, you know, within. One if day, it's not damaging them and it's one not damaging day I'll me. top her from the bottom. One day I will. 
No, but um, I wanted to talk about femininity because it, it actually, it, it serves me and I feel more powerful when I sort of emphasize my femininity mm-hmm. in certain ways. And it's mixed with, you know, there's, there's nothing purely feminine or purely masculine, but I do highlight certain things for, because I feel more powerful. Um, I, I love cross-dressing. I love wearing suits, but when I do that, I also like to wear, you know, some mascara and lip gloss mm-hmm. because I just, I'm not the kind of person like I don't, okay, let's, okay, let me just cut to the taste. I don't get as much attention when I look like a dude, like when I don't have, when I have like maybe like flat makeup on or no makeup on and like I have a hat on and I'm wearing a suit and I'm like looking more like, I I don't think I could ever look like really like a dude, men assume like an effeminate man. Then I just don't get as much attention, and I, I like attention. I bet the women love to give you a lot of attention. I like attention, that. so yeah. Flirting with like a straight woman when I'm wearing a suit is like I bet I they love I don't, it. Is that I fun? I guess they love it. I'm thinking about myself. I I enjoy that. It's really fun. Because gay women, women, must, um, gay women must go crazy for you in a suit. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I don't really know what sexual orientation people are right off the bat. Because if I'm not planning on having sex right. with them, it doesn't matter to me. But, um, but you like the attention and men seem men are, men are inhibited when you're wearing men's clothes. Also, aren't there there men who want to just conquer you even more because you dress as a man? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't talk to, I'm not around those kind of people there. I'm never around men who are trying to conquer me. Mm. I I guess if I am, then I'm like suddenly walking away or like lose, you know, I, I don't, I don't find myself again. I have this bubble and if like, if you're near my bubble and you're like that, then it's probably, you're not going to be there that long. That's great that's, though that you've like built this community and this circle to live in where you don't well, there's have a guys being this way. Out, there's a wonderful sure. community out there. But it's so, it's, it's so respectful and that you don't have these experiences with, you know, these kind of guys that I grew up with. These, these ultra alphas who are just going to try to meet a woman like you and own it, own your yeah. power. Yeah, there's really not. I mean, I, they, it does happen from time to time. More like people contacting via email to see, like, you know, I know what you really want. This is, you know, and, and oh, so you God. just can, it's so easy to yeah. ignore stuff like that. But I don't go to the type, the type of venues and parties or things where I would come into contact with people like That's that. Great. Do people, do, do people get to meet you? Like, I would imagine you have fans and admirers who, follow where you're appearing or what parties you're going to so they can come and pray <laughs> I've had at the some altar. people come say hi. Yeah. I've had some people, I always, I always, um, I, I like it when someone comes up to me and they're all and they're kind of, as long as it's not intrusive on my conversation, if I'm with friends, especially if I'm in a scene, obviously that's the rudest thing you can do. But if I'm in a conversation with someone, I don't necessarily want it to be interrupted, but if it's in a social environment or party or whatever, I love it when someone comes up and introduces themselves to me. It makes me feel really good. You know, I like that. I like that kind of attention as long as they're not rude and then sucking up on my time and like taking away from like, I'm, I'm at a place not really for that. I'm with my friends and I'm there to have fun with my friends or my play partner or whatever, but I think it's great. And I've gotten emails from people saying, Oh, I saw you at this party or whatever. And I was too scared to come and talk to you. I'm like, come on, you fucking pussy. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a such a, like I'm this person. Right. And I'm so nice. Like, am I not one of the nicest people you've ever met? One of the nicest people. And I would be saying this, even if I wasn't uh, tied to an iron maiden right now, (laughs) one of the nicest people I've ever met. Right. Yeah. Yeah, He's looking me in the eyes. So I'm looking and I'm looking at you. (laughs) See, I, 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 I was was looking at the microphone and pointing at you guys listening. She really was. That's how adorable she is. (laughs) I'm adorable and nice. And so like to not come up to me and say, hi, 
it's like, it's not me, it's not my fault. It's, you know, maybe I, I do like to be intimidating, but it's not, people come say hi, I'm really nice to them, you know, unless they're being, I don't know. You this know, is why I, this is, I was really happy to come and speak to you because I just find your life amazing. And I always want to interview you because I just, I, and I'm sure your listeners feel the same way. And, and a lot of the listeners at Massacast feel the same way that, you, you know, you live in a world that, that I can only imagine. <laughs> and it's actually seems really healthy compared to, you know, a lot of the worlds that I have to traverse. Mm. And, uh, yeah, but you're doing that. Take, me, purpose to your, take because... me to your magical BDSM world, please take me. <laughs> I mean, you're here. I know. Wow. This is as far into it as we're getting. Cause like I, I haven't met your wife yet, but, um, <laughs> and I know that you're not asking for that. This is no, but I always joke, but, um, but always, I'm actually serious. <laughs> well, but as someone, as someone who's never been part of the community, you know, but who's yeah. always, who's always been fascinated by it. And over the years, as I've grown and I've learned more and I've known more people involved in yeah. the community, uh, I've always been impressed by how ethical it is, how respectful it right. is. And, uh, people who are doing it correctly and people who are yeah. not doing it correctly, they're not actually doing it. They're just being a jerk they're and just, they're abusing yeah, someone. Exactly. So what I really like about you is that you are super interested in things and curious and learning. And also you're a person that's connected to larger audiences. And I want you to like, I want to get like, I'm trying to burrow inside of your head and to like poke this, some information and in all these like really anything important I could do, places. I'd be happy to Cause I know that you're going to, it's going to be in the back of your mind and you're going to be going out into the world and like, it's going to slip out. Like, you know, you're going to, there's going to be something that you're going to say to a large audience. That's going to be so like pro kink and so like, you know, so oh, it's, sure, I'm just yeah. really excited about that. And I love, you know, having the opportunity to influence you in that way. Well, I, I just, <laughs> I know it's happening. I appreciate it right now, you know, and it's going to happen besides getting to meet you. So tell me it's going to happen. It's totally going to happen. Right? Please. Right. I, I just appreciate that. I get to learn about this from you and that, you know, and I get to meet someone like you as a fellow New Yorker, because mm. you're one of the people that makes this city special. Oh. And you're one of the reasons why people who grow up in parts of this country and feel like they're freaks uh, move to New York or move to a big city and are able to find a community and realize, oh my God, no, I'm I'm me, I'm normal. Yeah, I'm not an outcast, and I'm 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 not some kind of mutant like I felt growing up in my hometown. Yeah, and you know, for me, this city and and other cities in America. And, and other communities, not just big urban areas or places where, you know, millions of kids don't kill themselves or they don't marry some loser and have a miserable life lying to each other, but where they can come here, mm. explore what's in their psyche, grow as humans, have a lot of fun and, uh, and build a community filled with incredibly, uh, hot, uh, uh, dominance. So. <laughs> Wow. That sounds great. Well, you know, I mean, for someone like me, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really, really, I, I don't get to hang out in dungeons too much. I hang out in comedy clubs that look like dungeons, but not like this. Yeah. What, I, I have one more question for you. What, what, where do you draw the line at pain? You know, I, I knew a woman once who, who told me about a community where people actually enjoyed being hung from hooks, like having hooks sure. stuck into their flesh and being hung from hooks and, yeah. and, and I get it. I get how that sort of intensity mm-hmm. can balance you out. Mm-hmm. Do you person, <clears throat> personally or professionally draw the line pain wise when it's consensual? I mean, draw the line at pain. That's an interesting question because I'm, I'm not the one feeling 
the pain. Well, I feel I'm involved in it and I feel they're feeling it. I, I wrote something about that, about how I can't not like, I feel your pain and that like I'm giving you pain and I feel your reaction. And, you know, we're both getting excited in different ways, but, and so, and that's, it's interesting you bring up that the other community, it's another community. And I think it's more of the body modification mm-hmm. community and they don't identify as being uh, in the BDSM oh, community at all. It's super interesting. And I've known some people in that community and they're like, Oh no, we don't do that. I'm like, Hey, it's cool, man, whatever. Yeah. But, um, and, and that's fine. You don't identify that way. You don't, but you know, some of them are masochists, but you know, maybe, and it could be totally purely non-sexual. I don't know. I but as really with all know. levels of sexuality, it's about self-identification, right? Sure. It's all about that. So you have to respect that. I sometimes have gotten a vibe where they're like, kind of like, no, we don't want to be associated with the BDSM community, but that, that might just be me, you know, over, over analyzing them and making assumptions about them, which is not appropriate for me to do. Well, it's, it's okay if I do it, but other people should do it. <laughs> but, um, as far as pain, you know, um, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Is there ever too much pain for some that like, that I can't stand someone's having so, and, you know, feeling there, so much pain that it, that it like, like crosses what, the line for me. No, what's, what's before. something that someone could ask you to impose on them that you would say no to? Well, I, I mean, you know, what immediately popped into my head was castration, but that's a pretty obvious thing. I'm not a doctor, <laughs> so I shouldn't do that. Nobody should do that, but a doctor. Um, why would anyone get castrated anyway? Like, for a medical reason. Like, that's, I guess if you have testicular cancer. No, that's a fetish. No, I know it is, but yeah. you shouldn't do it. That's no, what I'm saying. No, I'm saying the legitimate reason for non-fetish wise. Cause, and there's certainly role plays, but I've had people ask me like, would you, would you actually cast, would you actually remove my testicles? And I'll be like, I would, I'll be happy to mind fuck you and to do a role play and make you really, really believe that's going to happen. But let's be clear up front. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. What are you fucking crap? I'm not a doctor. And like, I would need a medical reason if I was a doctor, <laughs> you know? So no, I mean, I wouldn't, but that's, that's not the question you're asking because that goes well, along no, that, with that counts. like, I mean, that, that, that's there. I mean, that's, yeah. Well, so, I mean, the answer I'm is I'm not going to do asking. anything pathological or illegal mm-hmm or um, non-consensual or something that's not safe. Like if, if a person really wants that, um, I think that they need to, to actually look at that and, you know, think about their judgment and if they really like so do you wanting find the- that in a sexual way in a fantasy is great. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but actually wanting to go and have, I don't know. I, I'm do you find, sure. do you find the, the therapist Alex popping into your head a lot when you're doing sessions? Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm just the same person, you know, it's just my motivation and the context and what I'm doing is, is highlighting different aspects. But but, but does that training, does your, does your, your, your education feed the sessions? If there's there's certainly someone in, um, well, it's, it's, it's reciprocal. Like, you know, I, it's everything feeds everything else. So, you know, but if there's somebody in such subspace, there's certainly people out there who just want more and more and more. And then they realize later that that was a really bad idea. And if you're playing with someone unsafe, like my friends and I know somebody we've played with this person who, who will play with people. He's just a, a pain slut. He just wants to, and he gets around and he wants to play with all these people, which is great, except that he chooses unwisely sometimes and plays with people who, mm-hmm. who he shouldn't be playing with because, you know, for example, they're going to kick him in the kidneys or something yeah. stupid, you know? 
and, or get like, you know, injured. And that's, that's where I draw the line is like when, you know, when it's really fun and I could just go on and on and making someone bleed and everything, I should have made you that coffee. I'm sorry. No, you seem sleepy. Oh, I have a two year old. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, is that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take someone, I'm gonna make the decision how far somebody can go. It's for funny them. that you could think I could be sleepy during this conversation though. Um, can I ask you one more question? Cause <laughs> it seems that on a certain level, um, this community, uh, comprises a certain, uh, uh, class level. It seems like it's, it's, you know, upper class, upper middle class, educated people who are into, who are generally the people in this world. Why do you think that? Well, I don't, I was curious if like, you know, let's say lower income folks who don't have access to professionals or to dungeons. Oh, you mean to, for professional session? Yeah, that's true because it's expensive. Yeah. Sure. So I mean, like, it seems like. But in the scene and the lifestyle, it's anyone, it's everyone. You don't have to buy fancy implements or latex like you you can use a your you know spatula and like you know <laughs> your garden hose to, to do you have hear about that like are like is it a community that low-income folks you know enjoy as well well i've been to you know I, and the thing is is they wouldn't necessarily you know maybe there there's certainly people that are low income that it would prevent them from going to even parties because right. often you have to pay to get into parties and it might not be cheap and then you and know, then there's the and wardrobe Manhattan. and then there's, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to really spend money on wardrobe if you could just, most people let you in if you wear black, but you'd have to pay to get in and it's, yeah, so it's not cheap, but there are plenty of things. There are events that, that are free and that you can do out there on FetLife. They list all these different events. Um, you can go to a munch. It's at a diner. You don't even have to buy any, you can have, you don't have to buy anything. You can just go to hang out with people. Um, I think that, you know, depends on the circles you run in. You're only going to see people who are more within the, the range that you are in as right. far as like what you can afford to do and stuff like that. Education as well. I um, guess, right? Like, I, I mean, we all tend to, it's just like, you know, the, my guess my point is, is that people who are into BDSM are like anyone else and they run in the circles that they run in. So, you know, um, but it's a cross section of society and there, I did, there is this paper that I read one time where they did a demographic sort of a spread on people and they found that there was no distinguishing factor characteristic of people in terms of age, religion, um, socioeconomic status, race, ethnicity, you know, education, it's a cross section of society. It's just that sure. People professionally I interact with, they're going to have more money because they got, it's expensive. You know, it's luxury item to be able to have a session. Um, you know, people who go to a lot of play parties or who are into latex and stuff like that, they have more money, you know, um, certain, yeah. So, so yeah, you're going to, you're, you know, there's certain things that, but those are all people who are also exhibitionistic and there's a lot of people with money who aren't, who prefer to just play in private with their partner at home and who you would never see either. Mm -hmm. And so, or there's also people who can't really afford to go to parties, but they are exhibitionistic and they want to go out and they find a way to do it. So it's like, you know, it's just like anything else. People. I always wonder how people find each other. You know, I guess, I guess the internet makes it possible now, but how, yeah. you know, like if, if you were into BDSM and, and, and you lived in South Dakota, how you would find someone else. People find a way, you know. <laughs> I guess so. Well, you're in South Dakota. You have to do something. Yeah. Yeah. 
What, do, what should we close on? Or you keep saying one more question, which I makes know, me I think that we have to wrap up. Are we on time? I've got a couple minutes. I, I'm so sorry. I come here and it's just like... We did go long, I, actually. I'm, you're, you're more, more interesting than me. I'm not going to say anything as interesting as what you say. I swear to God. That's ridiculous. No, it's true. Tell me three really interesting things about yourself. Real quick, off the top of your head. Don't be shy. Uh, what's, what's super interesting about you, John? I've, I've, I've seen UFOs. I've hung out with three of the Beatles, and I am the child of two people who once made religious vows and never have a child. Those are pretty interesting. Off the top of my head. <laughs> and I was in Sing Sing Prison last week. Yeah, see, that's pretty interesting. Speaking of BDSM for keeps. When is your... Um, did you finish that? No, we're still shooting it. I thought we'd the be done The documentary, right? Yeah, I've, I've, I've filmed this and we've, we've filmed in 16 states, in 37 cities. I've interviewed over 180 people uh, from rural obesity clinics in Mississippi to... Uh, prison in Florida to Sing Sing Prison here last week. I, I forgot what vets. it is. And it's What's about the it's, point a, it's again? a it's a PBS doc that's going to be a mini series about the American dream. Oh, and okay. Is it still alive? And and you know Ooh, what's, the, dark. what's the state of upper mobility now? <laughs> yeah. And um and economic inequality. You so. know, it's really good they have you doing that because they need somebody pretty to do that because that is going to be a dark fucking. It's show. really heavy, and they hire and you know they said we we want you because you're a comedian, and I'm like, well, you're talking about deindustrialization and all of our jobs going and no, re- it's smart. retired cops having their pensions cut in half because the town declared bankruptcy. You want yeah. some jokes with that? So it's really been a challenge for me creatively. Yeah, I, I went into it thinking like my job was going to be to, to find some humor or pathos and all this. And it wound up just being, uh, it wound up just being, you know, a really interesting session I would have. I would go into yeah. someone's home. I mean, we were in a trailer park in Alabama, mm-hmm. this undocumented family, and all three kids were on the honor roll, and the dad got caught, and he's being deported back to Columbia, and he's like, I'm just going to hire another coyote and come right back. Mm-hmm. You know, like, just real pain everywhere. And it wound up being a job where, maybe you could appreciate this, where I'd, I'd go in to do the interview, and I'd sit with the people, all the crew set up for an hour, and get them to know me and get them comfortable with me and what I was about. And then when we finally began rolling the cameras, the if I could have gotten them to trust me by then, they'd agreed to do the movie and they're all talking about hardship. It's, you know, white folks in their 60s who never thought they'd be on food stamps or people who were in prison or people who, I mean, everyone was on food stamps in, in this in this film and, mm-hmm. and people whose pensions are being taken away and the worst homeless shelter in Detroit. And, and, they want to reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. People in pain want to be heard. They want to be seen. And there's so much in life that you can't share with your coworkers, with your family, mm-hmm. with your friends. And you need to have a place to go and be real. And maybe that's why I kept thinking about our last conversation so much when I was doing this film. Because in a way, there's nothing like what you do. But in, in terms of sitting down with someone and getting them to reveal things and open up mm-hmm. and be vulnerable... Yeah. In a, you know, in public, we had a camera in their face. I mean, and be seen being vulnerable. I, I wound up having them embrace my inner Oprah in this case. And every day mm-hmm. was having people weep, having people cry. And yeah, you're giving them a safe space to deal with something and to kind of shed light on something that's really hard. And maybe, you know, is difficult that you really want, you really want to address that, but it's really difficult. Well, and that's why I thought about your two, you know, worlds and, 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 how similar they seem to me to have, you mm-hmm. know, both the therapy world and the BDSM world where you, you walk into a room with someone who is coming there for a service. 
And in the context of this, this meeting, they will reveal things to you. They will show things to you. They will make themselves vulnerable in front of you. Mm-hmm. You will bring out what they have hidden, but you will also give them the tools to accept it and own it and have agency over their own feelings. Mm. And at the end of the day, you hopefully send them home a bit stronger and understanding themselves a bit mm. more. Yeah. So that's what you did. That's what you've been doing with this yeah, film. So, that, you know, in doing this when movie, when is it going to, when is it going to wrap? This will air, uh, it'll wrap sometime this spring. We're still shooting. Uh, Lewis Black is going to be in it. I asked him to do it and he'll mm. be in it. And I just interviewed Mike Huckabee, uh, in Times wow. Square. That's the first time Mike Huckabee's name has been said on your show. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. they, they, uh, it'll be probably airing, uh, around election day, 2014. Cool. Yeah. So it's PBS's Mammoth American Dream Project. And now you're about to go off and do a bunch of fun stuff, right? Now I have to go and plan my tour. I do this political comedy tour called the Sexy Liberal Tour. Nice. That uh, we started in 2011. Do you ever wear panties on that tour? I've never actually done that. Would you? Would I? Would you? Uh, Just part of it, not even the whole tour. Well, the crowd wouldn't have to know, so I guess so. Exactly. I mean, I do. I, Just you and me. I do wear a full garter belt under my clothes at every show. I should, I should say that. Um, but I've never worn panties cause that just feels kind of gay. Um, <laughs> and the bra is comfortable. I'm secure enough. My man had to do that. Yeah. Uh, same with the Prince Albert, but the, the, uh, it's really fun. Do you pee standing up with that? Because a lot of people, you know, Oh, isn't it the worst when you think you got a good Prince Albert and you and you're just some like, guy recommended and then you try to stand and pee and, and you suddenly all over yourself. you're the you're the so now you have to sit you're out the, and pee, the hose right? ornament yeah exactly you have to sit out. Oh, and there's the nothing time. wrong with that absolutely nothing exactly good so you're gonna go on this cool sexy liberal tour. yeah we're playing the the Orpheum and Phoenix and you next panties. week. Don't tell, tell me when we turn it off, which city you'll be in. Then you then I'll know that you're going to wear panties in the city, but we won't say it now. So I'll be at the Orpheum in Phoenix, uh, uh, in, in the middle of February and the Barrymore in Madison is already sold out. And then we're good. We're doing, uh, I think we're announcing Minneapolis at the state theater, the Chicago theater. We're doing a lot of big venues. Cool. In the winter. Yeah, it's fun. It's my, me and Stephanie Miller and, uh, some special guests and, uh, and it's filthy and very political, and we try to really merge uh, doing an extremely sexually, obscenely gratuitous and blunt show that's also very political and moral at the same time. But is it not going to be here in New York where I we, can go? We sold out The Beacon in 2012. We did it there, and that was a lot of fun. Do it here, and then even if it sells out, you'll still find a way to get me in. I would love to have you as my guest next time we play New York. Yay! Okay, that's a perfect place to stop. Alex, thanks for having me. <laughs> Oh, is, yes. Aside from just loving what you do and, and just digging you, it's really fun for me as someone who interviews people to come here and sort of like have this two-way conversation where we're both interviewing each other. Yeah. Because I just, I learn a lot. It's totally me. a two-way. Thanks to Alex, of course, and John. You can find uh, more about both of them on com. Thank you for listening and uh, thank you for donating. If you uh, put in a couple extra bucks. That would be very helpful. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.